Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza. Welcome to the show. I'm really happy you're here and really excited we want to shine a bright light on sex and disability together as usual. Blah, blah. Here I am. I'm, I'm it's been a crazy week. I got back. I don't know if I mentioned in the last episode that I was in New York doing all the things that I can't really talk about just yet. And and more cool things happened this week. If you've been following my social media, you've seen that. I can't talk about any of that. But oh my goodness, exciting, exciting things, particularly around this podcast. Things that kind of just came up that I wasn't expecting that I'm interested to explore that I can't really talk about. But it's exciting for sure for sure. But I, if you've also been following my social media, you see that I always put out things for topics and I want to find new ways to invigorate this podcast and bring about discussion to to things around sexuality and disability and all the, all that wonderful stuff. Um, and so a few months back, I said I wanted to review Me Before You which is a movie that came out a couple years ago and a book that came out a couple years before that. There's been huge, huge controversy around this film and this book because of the way it depicts disabled lives and the way it talks about disabled romance and the way it talks about ableism. And there's been a giant controversy around this whole me before you thing. And I remember when this film came out in 2016, so many disabled people that I knew and that, that, that work in, in advocacy alongside with me were like, oh my goodness, don't see this film. They were protesting by having sit-ins at movie theaters and, and handing out flyers as people entered the movie to talk about the problems with this film and the, the, what the images would represent for the larger disabled community. Much of that I agree with. So I hadn't actually seen the film or read the book, but I did follow along with a lot of the controversy and I decided I'm not going to see the film. I'm not going to I'm not going to see it. But then I was like, "Oh, I need things for topics and people have been talking about this for a while and I want to see for myself what this film's all about." So, today I'm going to give you my review, my step-by-step review of this film and and I got to tell you, this film not just because of the way it really poorly depicts disability in so many Troptastic ways. Troptastic's not a word, but I made it up. It's it's there's so many cliched tropes about disability in this film, but also it's so painfully done. This film is just not good. Aside from all the ableist crap, this film is really bad. But I wanted to share that with you and share my thoughts on this film. Before we get into the film adaptation, I should say that the, the, the book was written in 2012 by author Jojo Moyes, and she wrote this book about 
a paralyzed banker who fell in love with his caregiver. That's basically the that's basically the gist of the story. That's and so that's kind of where the story starts. And I'll I'll, I'll speak more to it in um in when I do the movie review. But I wanted to speak also of the the way the book was critically uh, critically discussed. So critics said it's impossible not to fall in love with these characters and story in this deeply emotional and insightful novel. From Mary Kosola in Common Sense Media said that. The Washington Post said this heart-rendering tale of Louisa, a young woman who finds herself in a predicament, how to convince Will, a young paralyzed man in her care, that he has something to live for. So basically, the story goes on to say that this gentleman wants to end his life because he's paralyzed. So you can see why disabled people were like, what the fuck is this deal about? But this, the, the book adaptation, why it was also troubling when I did my research on this book, the author didn't do any proper research around disability. So the stuff she's talking about, she has no lived experience or assisted knowledge to gain this this understanding. So her discussions of paralysis were completely off. And I found a YouTube video where a guy actually is like, nope, that's super wrong. This wouldn't be realistic. A guy with, with, with I believe, the, the main character's type of disability. And he's like, nope, this is why this is wrong. Here it is. I'll post that in the show notes because it was really super compelling. Um, but let's get on to the movie review. I made notes. I made notes within the first, like, as soon as the movie started, I started writing things down. Because I was like, I can't, I can't even, like, I've, I've, I had feelings from the minute the movie started. And it, it, it stars some pretty high caliber actors. Like, it stars Emilia Clarke, who is Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. I love her in Game of Thrones. She can... You know, be the my, be the mother to my dragons any day, but she certainly couldn't save this film from being a trash fire because it certainly it so was. And it also stars Sam Clayfin, who I think was in The Hunger Games with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think he played some guy. In, I'm pretty sure he played a character there. I don't know, but he anyway. He's you know conventionally attractive, and and that's that's actually one of the first things I wrote down for this for this movie is that he. I wrote down, and actually, before we get too ahead, I, t- I entitled this episode, Me Before You, brackets, Me Before Ew, review, because that's how I felt about the film, and that's what I've been secretly calling it for, like, two years, when people were starting to talk about it, that's what I called it, um, and my very first note from j- from watching it, literally three seconds in, the very first scene is him, is him having sex with his girlfriend as an able-bodied person before the accident occurs, and he's, you know... I said, main character is white, conventionally attractive, as is his personal care attendant. Because, he you know, he has the accident very quickly, and then they f- they fast-forward to that he's... to his personal care attendant getting hired, and she is Amelia Clark, and she's, of course, white, conventionally attractive, beautiful, which, you know... In care situations, as much as we want that to happen, as much as the fantasy of like having the hot caregiver is a thing, that very rarely, rarely occurs. I mean, sometimes it does, but it's, it's so rare. 
So that that troubled me a little bit right away. And then so the second scene is she sits down with his mom. And his mom is hiring her to be his caregiver without asking him what he wants. We don't hear from him. We don't hear if he wants her to be a part of this relationship. His mom hires this woman, this stranger, to assist him with care. What the fuck? Why doesn't he have any agency over this? And so the very first thing that Amelia Clark says is that, like, the mother's like, do you realize what he lost? He lost functioning in his legs, and oh my god, it's so tragic. And she says something like, well, I guess, you know, it would be extra tragic for him. And then she realizes, like, what, how horrible the joke is. And it's just so, it's so stilted and forced. It's like, okay, we get it, there's a joke, but why did, why did that even have to be there? Um... But I really had a trouble with the the fact that like the mother and the caregiver are sitting down before we even meet the person in question that she's apparently taking care of. This again shows that he has no agency to hire his own people. He's a thirty one year old man. Why doesn't he have agency to hire his own caregiver or his own personal care attendant? Why? Why? I didn't like that at all. So, yeah, right away, my critical disability lens was like, bing, I have feelings about all the things. And so, so, but I also did find it really interesting that that almost three minutes in, we had a mini Game of Thrones reunion. I mean, there was Amelia Clark, and then there was Charles Dancer, who is uh, Tywin Lannister. And I was like, wow, yeah, like that, there was a little moment where I was excited by that. But the rest of it was, the rest of things were trash fire. Um, again... Within the first 10 minutes, there's also a panning shot of the adapted annex where this guy lives in this big castle-esque house. And one of the things that I noticed was when they panned over that it was shot of his bathroom where you see the commode. And I grinned because he's using the exact same commode that I use every day to take a shit. So when you watch that scene, if you watch this movie um, to critically review it for yourself... And you see that commode, know that there's an actual disabled person sitting on that commode to take a shit every day. I mean, it's, but the slow shot they take of this commode is just ridiculous. Like, the slow shot to be like, oh, difference, different. I also, I also noticed that the whole time that he's doing this, they don't have a Hoyer lift. This person is paralyzed. He would need that kind of support, and they have all this money. Yeah, we don't see him with the Hoyer lift. It's really weird. Um... When we meet Will, the paralyzed main character, he pretends to act as though he's intellectually disabled. There's a scene where he makes slow, disabled, like, speech impediment things. And that's just really ableist. And I think it's even more so because the actor playing him is cripping up. And that was troubling for me because I was like, oh, I mean, it would be ableist if a disabled person was doing it anyway. But because this person has no lived experience of disability. This isn't, This makes it that much worse. And why do they do... It's just not... It wasn't funny. It was horrible. Um, and I just thought that was really a problem. And so there was a point where Louisa asks, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Because we, we, meet, his, we meet his nurse at some point, who, by the way, is a super hot... I think he's Australian... Might have, might have been British, but but he's, anyway, just gorgeous. And there was a point where I was like, why does Louisa have to be there? Why can't he fall in love with this 
hot male nurse and why can't we turn this into like a gay porn romance i'm totally down for that like i would i would have watched that story so hard so she asks what she's doing here and the nurse says to him says to her well you're there as his friend we want you as his friend and i was like ew they're hiring him a friend and that kind of touched a personal nerve for me because in the place where i live right now i live in what is known as supportive housing which means that I have staff come in and out. And they also have a program where somebody will take you out and do things with you. And I think, well, that's really nice. It's also problematic because it does feel sometimes like they're hiring you a friend. And that's weird. And it makes it weird to create genuine relationships based on if I'm hiring you to be someone's friend. So this, when I saw this in this movie, I was like, well, that's really gross. And like, it's so transparent that that's what they're doing and that it's really I didn't like it and it was super ableist and I felt weird about it but I had to write it down and put it in and he of course this Sam Clayton guy plays the angry disabled guy to a T but again it's so much of a stereotype that there's no depth to this character he's angry within the first 10 minutes it's so cliched I can't even begin to tell you as a disabled person I have been angry like that, but it's like you're playing it so wrong. If you're going to be angry about it, like, just bring some... D- if you're going to do this, which you shouldn't have done at all because you're able-bodied, if you're going to do it, try to bring some depth or at least have sat down with a disabled person to properly get get some, like, some lived experience and some, some realness to this character because there was nothing there. I also felt troubled that he has all this money and he's, you know, rich and powerful and, and has all this 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 astuteness to him, yet he couldn't be shaved when he was... And I think they were doing that as, like, a, a movie thing to be like, look, he's depressed and disabled and sad, so therefore what's the point of shaving when he... Meanwhile, like, it just was so unnecessary. The guy could be shaved. They could shave him. Why didn't someone say that we should shave him and there's a scene later in the movie where she shaves him and it becomes this moment between them which is just beyond ridiculous and unnecessary but um and so then it moves along and so there's a scene where her friend set her boyfriend says to her i don't know what i would do if i had to have strangers wipe your ass and when i watch that i just laugh because that's me every day and to that i'll say you know there's something I'm not saying that I wouldn't love to wipe my own ass, but there is something kind of kingly and royal about somebody wiping your ass. And so I try to play with that, like, joke about it. And so, But, like, the idea that this is, like, the most tragic thing is having somebody wipe your ass. Wouldn't we all want somebody to wipe our ass sometimes? Wouldn't that be great? Didn't they do that back in, like, the 1500s with King Louis and all those things? So, yeah, I wouldn't mind if somebody wiped my ass. I'd be okay with that. And, and I do it every day, so it's not a huge, like... That shouldn't be the most tragic thing they talk about. There's one point throughout the film within the first, I think, 25 minutes where Louisa, the caregiver, gets angry with Will because he's being an ass, as she says. And so they have a fight and she's like, well, I'm not employed by you. I'm employed by your mom. And I was again, I was like, does he not get any agency with her? Like, where's his agency why can't like ew and why would she throw that in his face and that's just so wrong no 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 no
Also, the fact that he tacitly accepts her, like, why didn't he go to his mom and dad and be like, hey, folks, I don't really want her here. Um, Let me make my own decision. Why? I would have loved to have seen that scene in the movie, and that scene would have given at least the beginning part some depth to be like, yo, mom, I don't want her here. I'm not going to just tacitly let you decide that. Like, ew. Like, if you're so angry about things, have some anger about things that might actually matter as opposed to you just being sad about your... But what do you think you've lost? Like, it's just, no. Be angry about the fact that you have no agency. That's cool. But the rest, not so much. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark. But first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just wanted to let you know that I have started recording minisodes for the show. And if you're like, hey, Andrew, what's a minisode? Let me tell you. A minisode is a little tiny morsel of awesomeness of Disability After Dark where you, the listener, get to write in anything about disability you want to tell me about, a story, a letter, a thought, uh, a topic idea. Just tell me about your life as a disabled person. Um... Or if you're non-disabled and you have questions about disability you want me to answer, write in and let me know. And then we can really build a community around disability and we'll put them in a little 10-minute minisode that we'll play before the full episodes. It'll come out, they'll come out every Wednesday. So if you want to write a minisode, write me your thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas about disability. You can write them to our new email address for the podcast. You can write them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I will read them back to you. That's the, I'll read them back to you and we'll wildly speculate about them together. So submit your things for a minisode to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com I want to thank our sponsor, Come As You Are and I want to thank all the patrons who have put their money down to support this show. It means a lot. Thank you so much. If anybody, if any businesses want to sponsor this program and want to come on as another sponsor, let me know, uh, and I'd love to talk to you about seeing what we can do to help this show grow. But now, back to the show. So, the mother of dragons and the guy from Hunger Games have a fight, and he and she's like, your mom hired me, blah, 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 and, and then they fight, and he knocks down a picture, and that, that like pisses her off, so she goes to fix the picture, for him and she snoops around and like looks at the picture and he's like you know you're looking at that picture because i was once able there blah blah do you want to snoop some more and so like first of all she wasn't snooping she was looking at the picture calm down also the picture was from the neck up if you watch the film he's standing up and so she wasn't snooping it was just ridiculous they have a dumb fight over the picture and then somewhere in between there they watch a movie together and she's like oh i don't like subtitles he's like no i'm ordering you to watch it with me ew he kind of the character 
kind of shows like hints of misogyny that I really didn't like right away. And I was like, that's gross. I don't like that even though he's a paralyzed dude, he's still being super misogynistic towards her. And yet she's letting him because he's paralyzed. Ew. Uh, so that was weird. And then I found that that he went from being angry to being like enamored with her way too quickly. Like if you're going to pick a note to be, stay on that note a little bit longer than five seconds. Like he, all of his anger was kind of concentrated in like two or three trope lines and then after that he was like into her and I was like that's not how this would work if he's gonna be really mad about it stay mad or if you're gonna be happy about it like stay happy but don't you can't switch that quickly it doesn't work that way at least it didn't work for me and you can tell the actors can tell they have like no there's no story there so they have no idea there's like nothing to go on and they're trying so hard to pull this story together and just from a cinematic viewpoint, I was watching going, what the fuck? Like, what is, what is this? Like, what, they, they're trying so hard to go with nothing that they've given. Like, it's, it's, this movie should not have had a theatrical release. This movie should have been something they put on Lifetime at three in the morning that some poor, bored housewife would watch. Or something on Bravo that we could all laugh at later. This is not something that should be should have been given a 20 million dollar budget to <laughs> to be made no like no no there's a scene fairly early on where they're becoming friends and he's sleeping and she can't wake him and so of course the the intense violin start where obviously there's the assumption that she thinks he's dying and it's like, of course you would think he's dying, even though he's just sleeping. Like, why couldn't he just be sleeping? And then she manages to wake him, and she's like, oh my god, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And, I mean, I, I laughed at that because I was like, this is so ridiculous. The ramping up the cheesiness for no reason he was fine. Like, could he, could we, do we need the violin for that scene? Does that scene even need to be there? Like, how much are you trying to make us see that he's paralyzed and therefore it's tragic? There were just so many problems with the way they presented this and so after she wakes him they're in his big annex castle bedroom which again didn't have a hoyer lift which i certainly don't understand and I'd, i also didn't like that we didn't see the hoyer lift why the fuck didn't he have a hoyer lift is he expected to just be lifted all the time you have the money have a hoyer lift jesus fuck so there was no hoyer lift there um and so th she's sitting with him and it's raining and it's very romanticized. And she says, you know, hey, can I ask you something? And I think <laughs> every disabled person watching this scene went, oh, my God, I know what he's about to say. We all knew what he was about to say, what she was about to say. And she says, can I ask you something? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, well, what happened to you? And I don't remember what he says, but I think he tells her, you know, I was in an accident, blah, blah. And it was just so... Ugh, it was so put on. Like, why? What? W couldn't you be more sensitive? I mean, we've seen this scene so many times in so many different films, in so many different ways, asking the same boring question. It just reinforced the same tropes. And I mean, if you're going to do the trope, could you at least come up with a way of asking that's a little bit more creative than what happens to you? Like, please, directors, come on. You shouldn't be using this trope at all, but if you're going to, 
use your, use your creative brain to make it a little bit more exciting than, oh, just what happened to you? Tell me. And then immediately following that scene, there's a scene where Louise is in the house and his parents are home and you hear them fighting and they're fighting and they're screaming and, and, and the mom's like, oh my God, I can't believe it's time. It's not time yet. I, won't, I don't accept this. No, no. And you hear them get a letter from the assisted dying place and you realize that he's decided that he wants to end his life after a certain point. Six months is what they say in the film. And she was like, I only agreed to that so that we could give him more time. And the dad says, no, no, he, this is what he agreed to. This is what he wants. We said yes, it's his life. He made the decision to do this. We have to respect it. And she was like, no, no, I won't. I won't do it. Really, not e- we're not even getting into, the, we're not scratching the surface of what this mother may be feeling. It was so, like, one-dimensional, this performance. And then Louisa realizes that he's going to die, and she kind of holds that in and realizes that. Um and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about assisted dying and my thoughts on that because I think whether you're disabled or not, if you truly want to die and you want to kill yourself, you're gonna find a way. If that's what you need to do to get out of your to get out of whatever pain you're feeling or if that's your way out, I accept that. But I think when we talk about assisted death and disability, I think it's troubling when we look at disability as the only reason for dying. However, if you're a disabled person and you, as a result of disability, are living in immense pain and immense emotional turmoil and that's what you want to do, you should have the agency to decide to do that. But the way this was troped out in the film was really problematic and really quick. We did the, I mean, the, the movie could actually have been better done as a series that talked about the kind of inner di- inner dialogue of all these characters of what they're feeling around this person going through this stuff. I would I would be really curious to see something like that, but this slapstick together of like, oh no, he's going to die. And so then at one point, Louisa says to her sister after she finds out, I guess I'm just on suicide watch. Like, that's not funny or glib. That's gross and you should never, that should not have ever been in the film. And then of course... Louisa goes through this, they have this montage where she decides that she's going to change his mind and she's going to be the one to like bring him out of this funk he has and bring him out of this decision he has to die. And instead of talking with him about it right away, she goes to his mom and is like, hey, I have a secret idea to like save his life. And there's literally a montage of her like going through books and going through things they could do together before he presents before she presents it not to him but to his parents again again showing that this guy has no agency and they're just gonna they're gonna fix his life for him as the able-bodied saviors that they are oh it just makes me so mad because that's not how this should work if he wants to die let him do that if that's what he really wants let him And so there's a scene where they go to this... They, she wants to take him to this music festival with him and his hot, hot nurse. And again, I really... I seriously wish that Louisa wasn't even in there and it was just a gay love story between him and this nurse because, oh my God, this nurse is beautiful. And the sex between Sam Clavin and this nurse actor guy would be so hot. Uh, but So they go to this music festival and his his power chair gets stuck in the mud, which happens has happened to so many of us. And... They can't help him, and she can't get him out of the mud. And so when she asks for help from some able-bodied blokes, he's like, oh, no, we're fine. Don't worry about it. And so 
but again, it felt so stilted. Like, why wouldn't you just ask for help? And so there's a point where they're at this music festival and they want to go eat. And it's like a, they're in a premier music, like a premier spot to go eat at this like really fancy part of the restaurant. Now, this guy has money, okay? For some reason, he doesn't use his money to get a better seat. She, like, so Louisa goes up to this woman and is like, oh, we want to get a better seat to eat. Can we do that? And Will just sits, sits there in his wheelchair and lets her fight with this woman and doesn't say, and like at this point, if it were me, I would have used my wheelchair to get in to like a better seat and be like, oh, I'm, I would have played that game so hard and they could have made that like a, they could have used that as a trope. If we're going to use really weird disability tropes in this film, why didn't you try to use a little bit of humor there? You could have totally done that and they didn't do it. Um, and that I remember that scene really bothered me because I wanted it to be funnier. And if it were, if it were me, I would have used my wheelchair to, to fucking milk the shit out of that and get the better seat. But the character doesn't do that. The The woman at the restaurant's like, well, you can't eat here. And then Louisa just huffs away. And Will just turns his chair and huffs away too. And it was so stupid. Um, and just didn't make any sense. And so then... She decides on her quest to save his life. They go to like the an orchestra show, and they're in this, they're in the front row with his wheelchair, and and so he wants her to dance with him, and he says, "Oh, you know." He says something about looking at her breasts, and she lets him. And I was like, again, totally misogynistic. Like, why, why would you? The whole character of him is so gross. He's like, oh. You're sitting on my lap now, and I'm looking at your breasts, and she like giggles and laughs about it, and I was like, "That's ew!" Like, no. Um, and she's like, "Oh, you're only looking at my breasts because you're in a wheelchair." And he's like, "Yeah, I am, and they're great, or something, something really like horrible." Um, and I just feel like his character is so one-dimensional, misogynistic, and given all the stuff with Me Too right now and all those things. I mean, this movie was a couple years before that, but still, like, ew. Don't make the character so misogynistic and don't worry. There will be an episode about misogynistic douchey guys with disabilities being gross. I have that queued up and ready to go. And throughout the movie, there's a whole, like, B theme where he talks about wanting to be a man and his parents want him to be a man. And so after the orchestra show, they're sitting in his car Again, no romance has happened here. They haven't kissed or anything yet. Not, like, nothing to suggest they're romantical in any way. So he's sitting in the car, and they're ready to go, and he goes, no, no, I just want to have one more minute. I just want to sit with the girl in the red dress in my car and be a man. As if, like, sitting with the girl in the red dress makes him a man. And if, like, it just it just smacks of, like, gross. He They, they just didn't know how to use that. And, I, like... His, his whole need to be a man. I think my trouble with that, with this film, is that I think that people who go through disability and through paralysis, and again, I don't live with paralysis like that, so I don't know, but I have experienced, as you've heard me say in this podcast, feelings about masculinity and my maleness and all that stuff. So I think those themes are salient and important in this film, but the way they do it, that for him to be a man, he has to woo the woman and have... It just feels really gross, and I didn't like it at all. 
there's a point in the movie where they, where Louisa, Will, and Louisa's boyfriend, Patrick, go, they all have dinner with her family or something in his house. I think it's in his house. I'm pretty sure, because if it was in her house, how did he get in is my question, because her house didn't look accessible. So I'm pretty sure it's at his house. And the boyfriend comes over, and they start talking about fitness. And the boyfriend says something like, hey, Will, you know if you get if you do this fitness regime it might benefit you or something and the the whole room is like oh my god don't talk about that like don't speak about that and we know from listening to this podcast and from other episodes and just from the way rehab and fitness and disability are discussed generally like i don't like when people bring up fitness right away but i think the hush hush of these characters was like why are you being so hush about it why can you just say i well, i don't want to talk about the fitness thing right now like why are you letting why do we have these characters in these fucking films who let these able-bodied people run their lives for them and walk on eggshells? Don't do that. If the disabled person doesn't like that, they have the right and the agency, or they should have the agency to say, and this fucking Will character in this whole movie has no bloody agency, and it pisses me the fuck off. Like, halfway through, I was like, I hate this guy because he's such a pushover. He doesn't take responsibility for anything. He has no agency, and he just lets things happen to him, and it's gross. No. So then she's like, after they have, after him and the boyfriend have a weird sparring thing, and the boyfriend kind of realizes that Louise is, like, into Will now, but nothing's happened yet, and he realizes it. So after that happens, they go home. Louise and him go home, and then he sees Louise again later, and Louise is like, Oh, we should do. We should go on this trip together. We should do this thing together. Let's do this thing together. And he goes, "I." Will Will says, "Well, I don't want to make. I want. I don't want to make memories like this and remembering what I had before. And I don't want to do that. And I want to. I don't want to have. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to have memories as a disabled person. Blah blah. blah. It's just ridiculous. And so then. Uh, then she convinces him to go on this trip, and just before they go on this trip, he speaks to a probate lawyer about his, his wills and stuff, and Louisa finds out, sees this happening, and goes to his mom to be like, oh my god, he's seeing a lawyer like you have to know, in secret, of course. And it's like, fuck, he's 31 and grown up, let him decide for himself. Um... His attraction to her and her attraction to his, to him, really happens kind of out of the blue nowhere. They they kiss one night when it's raining again. Of course they can. And it just is like, what? Where did this come from? Like, where did this come from? Why wasn't this like sought out a bit more? Why didn't this be given some ample time to grow? This just kind of popped out of nowhere, and it was super annoying in the film. And then, at one point. Louise's boyfriend is running. He's like, oh, you're going to come with me to this. You're going to come with me to this thing in Amsterdam. We have to go to this trip. And she's like, oh, no, I have to stay with Will because they need me. And he's like, what do you mean they need you? You're my girlfriend. Come with me. And she's like, no, no, but he's important. I have to be there for him. And so I do think that her boyfriend has a point in that he feels neglected by his girlfriend. And she's falling for this guy and I don't even know if she's falling for him because she actually likes him. I don't even know if she likes his character. And I wondered throughout if they were using the disability as the reason why she fell for him. Like, would she like him if he was just a guy? Or did she fall for him because of the magic of disability or something? 
But I do think the boyfriend had a little bit right to be pissed. Like she's falling for this this guy without any like when it comes out of nowhere and she's using her work to like fall for him, which it just it just didn't feel it didn't feel good and also the romance didn't feel natural, so I was like, Where did, why is this happening? Why? Why? There are also multiple points in the film where they talk about how hard his life is. Like, all the able-bodied people around him talk about how hard his life is. But nobody asks him how he feels about his life. Like, obviously we know he wants to die, but he never gets to say, like, yeah, my life's fucking hard today. He says he's in pain a few times. He says, you know, disability this and disability that. But we never really get to understand why his life is so hard. And it, it, it again just falls on, oh, he's disabled, so his life must be hard. Um, and then, so they go on this trip, and as they're going on this trip, they did all this stuff. They they they, they like went went to all these pools and this really fancy place, and all this stuff happened. And I just thought, what? How would this story look? How would this narrative look on screen if this character didn't have a shit ton of money to play with? How would the story change? How would it not be as glamorous for him to go on vacation? Like, what if they just went? What if their vacation was just going to, like, a concert in their city? What if that was a whole movie and that was it? Like, what? It seemed really glamorous for him to go on this big adventure when, when just because he had money. Like, most of us with disabilities don't have money and don't have the resources to do that. So, there was a lot of white privilege in this film that was really annoying. And again, Louisa's savior complex pops up a bunch more times and like, wow, the whole able-bodied I'm going to save you from the tragedy of your disabled life. That's basically what this what this movie and book should be called is that I'm going to save you from the tragedy of your disabled life, the movie. Like, that's what it should be called. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love the disability and the ableism away from you. Like, that's what this movie should have really been called. Um, I think the characters of will his feelings of wanting to die and wanting to be angry about disability are valid maybe but his inability to they don't show him they don't they rarely show him happy with his disability and i'd like to see i'd like to see i would have liked to see more of him happy and more of him happy without her being the reason why he was happy more of uh, more of him being happy just because he was happy and less of him being happy because the able-bodied woman came in and saved it and changed his world. Like, I didn't like... That was really gross. I didn't like that at all. And then he says to her, they're on vacation, they're on this big vacation, like his last hurrah, and he goes, listen, I have to tell you that I'm gonna... This is my last hurrah, and I'm gonna die soon. And he goes, come with me. I want you to be there with me when I die. And my first thought was, oh, that's hot. Hey, lover, want to come with me as I end my life and you've only known me for six months? Also, WTF, like how much, it's so dramatic. They've only really known each other for six months. They've only been romantical for about three and a half seconds and she's breaking down and crying and it just was ridiculous. But I just thought, why would you ask somebody that you're just getting to know, like, hey, want to come watch me die? Like, weird. No, weird. And then so the re- the end of the movie is like, you don't see him die, but it, it happens. And then he, in a voiceover, he's like, I left you enough money too, so you can get out of this little shitty town you're from and I left you enough money so that you can live well and like I love you and live well and bye and that's it and it's the, the, the weirdness is that like 
he left her money to live well, yet he died. And so it just seems really ironic. Why didn't you use that money to live your own life well? And like, there was no indication that you were going to die. He did get pneumonia in the film, but there was no indication that he was going to like, that he was dying. He just wanted to die. So I have feel, and I, I, I have feelings about how it was presented to an able-bodied audience. And, and I want to talk about, I want to shift from the movie now. And I want to talk about kind of the disabled community's response to it. And some of the, some of the pieces that were written by disabled members of the community. And then the trash fire responses from Amelia Clark and the actors who portrayed these characters, because wow, their responses are ridiculous. But first, let's hear from the disabled community. One of my most favorite reviews of this film came from author and all-around awesome professional disabled person, Carrie Wade. You heard her on the show, I think, in episode 13 or 14. She's amazing. And she wrote uh, she wrote a review of this film as a horror film. And she's, the review is titled... Me Before You is the most terrifying horror film of 2016. And this came out on Halloween 2016, and I thought it was so good. Um, and she says, when me, when me Before You came out earlier this year, the internet shook with disabled rage. We were not here for a two-hour stereotype parade that cast able-bodied actors in disabled roles and romanticized early death as an escape from the tragedy of being or becoming us. But hear me out. I think we may have read this one all wrong. Me Before You isn't half-baked schlock that crumbles under the weight of its own unconscionable ignorance. No, instead, director Tia Sherrock and writer Jojo Moyes gave us a <laughs> gave us a bio-horror masterpiece about a deadly outbreak of ableism in a small-town Wales. With Halloween upon us, it's time their efforts got the recognition they deserve. The scariest part of Me Before You is its realism. Unlike quote-unquote outbreak movies, it doesn't rely on a fictionalized disease a la the rage virus in 28 days or contagions MEV1. Ableism, as we know, is real. An ideological contaminant that leads the infected person to fear, devalue, or ignore disabled bodies and experiences. It's spread virally, often contaminated, often through contaminated media, well-meaning friends and relatives, and doctor's offices. Her, her review goes on and on, and it's just a fantastic, like, take-up of this film and saying that it's actually a horror film, and the horror is ableism, and I just, I fucking love it, and thought it was really brilliant and funny and perfectly, perfectly discussed. And and you, I will post it in the show notes for you to read more of it, because Carrie did an amazing job with this review. But, yeah, the, <laughs> it really, the horror in this film really is ableism. The message disabled people got, the overarching message and why all of us were protesting this film was because the overarching message was that to die is better than to live your life as disabled. And that's just, that just makes me really upset. And people, the reviews, actually looking at some of the reviews, they all said it was too, a two-dimensional film. It didn't give us much, but it didn't ever speak to, the reviews didn't speak to, um, the ableism, and I feel like that's the problem. And then when you look at what the stars said, which we'll get to right now, what the stars of this film said about it, it, I was like stunned and shocked and angered by what they said. 
Sam Clayton said in an interview that I found on YouTube for the film when they were doing press that it was important for him that the character was frail and looked weak. Emilia Clark went on to say that, you know, we've got they've got it wrong. It's a beautiful love story. We went off what we had there. We tried to show an opinion. We tried to show a situation, not an opinion. She really poorly defended the film when she should have been saying, oh, man, maybe... Like, I messed up, and maybe we should try this again. But they were so mired in their press junket for this film, they didn't realize, they didn't even realize how insidious their ableism was. And that's really, really horrible, that, that they didn't take a step back, either of those stars, to see how wrong what they were doing was. And obviously, the issue here lies in the fact that this is what able-bodied people are going to see, and this is what able-bodied people are going to assume all of our our struggles are as disabled people. And well, I do, like I've said in this episode, I do believe that a lot of the sentiments that this character may be having are valid and real. The way it is portrayed here is super dangerous and not at all acceptable for the big screen to do. And if we're gonna do, if we're gonna talk about the emotionality of disability and romance and love and the reality of that, it can be done in a much stronger, much more nuanced, much more disability centered way that doesn't rely on <laughs> that doesn't rely on able bodied characters to to make the movie important. That's really all I gotta say on it. I hope you liked my review of me before ew and I, I'd like to do other movies. I wanted to do also uh, The Shape of Water, which just came out and won some Oscars. I want—I haven't seen it yet, but I know there's some controversial disability representation around love and sexuality there as well. Um, so I'm, I want to review that at some point too. But hope you enjoyed my review of Me Before Ew, and we'll be back for another episode next week. And if you're on Patreon, you're listening listening to this super early, so yay! Thanks. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following... This aft dark pod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disability after dark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities, so I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright notice. 
Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.